1: best thing to win the masters you you will be here forever as long as you are still alive so that's the best thing i'm very happy
2: welcome to episode 53 of the talking golf history podcast in episode 52 jasper joe and i dialed back the clock on the first nine holes at augusta national and recounted some of the greatest shots ever hit into those holes episode 53 kicks off at the turn As we get ready to head down the 10th, looking forward to the challenge of Amen Corner, the delight of the 16th, and then try to hold on for dear life for the final two holes. Augusta National, when you really think about it, is the most public of the private retreats. It's the golf haven for the men and women who don those illustrious Pantone green jackets made from the summer wool of Australia. But for one glorious week a year we too get to share in its splendor we too walk that course with our golfing idols and welcome the familiar voices of jim nance and Vern Lumquist into our living room wishing they could stay a bit longer without further ado please join us for our walk down memory lane as we turn back the clock on augusta national and watch it evolve over the next eighty-seven years, or the next ninety minutes. Let's start right where we left off. Now we're we're jumping into the tenth hole. We're we're making the turn, or we're jumping on the first hole, depending on how you look at it when it was <laughs> built. That's that can definitely confuse people. And uh, a little homage to Cypress Points thirteenth hole, if you don't mind jumping into the tenth hole and uh, what was envisioned and how did it come out. This is a uh, camellia this is the gentle handshake right yeah <laughs> no, no longer handshake. now you get a gentle handshake <laughs> on the 10th <tenth. laughs> exactly it's you, too late for that you, you dampened just dampened. you just went uh, bogey and now you're going into another hole great <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's not a gentle handshake if you're greg norman you took a bogey as did jordan spieth <laughs> but i digress <laughs> yeah
0: this one this is fun i mean the the bunker we see today is probably as close as we can imagine it to the to the original um, design. so it's it's the most characterable bunker that's left on the course, um, in my opinion, I, I think it is. Um, it's that amoeba shaped sort of tendril sticking out everywhere, and it's you know it's beautiful. It's absolutely gorgeous. and because it's a downhill shot, you can see it as you play in the hole. So it's absolutely tremendous. Um, but yeah, the the original green site didn't last long that it? it was in a sort of punch bowl amphitheater style um, green site, and it was moved only four years later by. Uh, Perry Maxwell. Um, uh, Jones approved, apparently, as did uh, Cliff Roberts. So it was an all-round success.
2: How did uh, Alistair McKenzie describe the strategic nature of this hole? Um,
1: yeah, so basically said it was a, a, compar- a comparatively easy downhill hole. Uh, there was obviously um, hillocks on the right that you needed to uh, to fly in order to get to a plateau. That would have been about about 200 yards out, it looks like, from the diagrams. Um, and then you had to play, again, uh, a little bit of a, a kind of a running hooking shot uh, to get into that kind of back left pin position. But the green did run away from you. It was uh, pretty much... Yeah, it basically, on the original sketch, it uh, it, it lost about three feet um, uh, of elevation from front to, to rear. So it would have sloped away um, and would have been downhill. So
2: A par four too. Difficult. That's yeah, that's brutal. Mm. And that's been, you know, that's back when it was 430 yards. Now it's 495. another par five for Connor to play.
1: <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah. I mean, what's interesting is that the, the, the green would have been right pretty much right beside where the bunker is now. Um, and it went from being, well, rumor has it that it was changed because it, play too easily uh, and then now historically uh, it's it's one of the more difficult um, yeah toughest hole on, on the golf course uh, in, in during the tournament so it went from well just a few yards changing it an extra 65 yards and it went from the, the easiest to the hardest
2: yeah I think McKinsey <laughs> referred to it as comparatively easy right that's the <laughs> actual quote I, I dare <laughs> say no one in the Masters this year will be saying that no mm-hmm. Do you think the
0: bunker has been kept for aesthetic reasons? Is it one of the few things that has been kept for aesthetic reasons? That's a good It point. doesn't appear to be really in play for many players unless they hit a bad shot. Um, I mean, in 30, the original um, shape of the hole, it, it kind of asked for a drive that was carefully played out to the right, which would hold the hill. You know, it would hold the slope. And then you'd be left with a straight shot where the bunker doesn't come into play and you just feed the ball down to the green. But if you hit it left, you were taken even further left. And if you were sort of right on the left side of the fairway, you you were required to hook it and shape it around the bunker or to play a hero shot over all of the bunkers full length to a back pin, which was, you know, clearly difficult. So there's a good strategy there. I just wonder what the bunker does, what purpose it serves these days.
2: Well, it's, it's, it's interesting. interesting you say that, because if you look at the original, to me, it looks like it favors a draw, right? Because of the shape of the green, which is kind of... From front left to back or yeah, front right to back left. The green has been a little bit more rounded and with the addition of the bunker on the right, you could argue that it might have switched to a fade shot into that green. Almost certainly. Right Unless again. you're playing it like me and you're hitting a wedge because it's a par five. <laughs> I admire the <laughs> people who can hit it that long. That's that's my jealousy speaking, folks, not history. Or you play it like me with a hook because I can't play a thing. <laughs> That's right. I do have a. I am a little bit of a hooker in many ways. Many ways. Uh, any other comments on the tenth hole?
1: Uh, just because it's the uh, the uh, the English contingent. It's the uh, his own hole. He said that it was um, modest. Again, Mackenzie says that it was. Uh, it embodies the most attractive features of the fourth at All Woodley. And then very modestly just ties in there one of the best of British inland links.
2: Love that. uh, Huh? Yeah. Master of words amongst many things.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, fourth at Al Woodley. So there we go. He was never never shy of a little bit of self promotion.
2: Yeah, well, and Al Woodley deserves it too. Beautiful course. Absolutely. Good man. If you can't blow your own trumpet, no one else can. (laughs) That's true. That's true. (laughs) Uh, Although I think history would argue with that, that many people will blow that trumpet for him. <laughs> <laughs> they, they have done now. They have done now. Shame and and, and remember, you know, basically, he wrote a lot of this for free because he never got paid.
1: That's right. <laughs> <laughs> amazing, yeah.
2: So, uh, color commentary goes to 2012. I think most people will remember this. Bubba watsa faced Louis ustazen So, the man who hold out for a double eagle has a chance to win in a playoff for the 2012 Masters. Bubba's tee shot on the 10th hole looked dead, 40 yards into the trees. And Louis seemingly had a massive advantage. Baba Watson did what Baba does and hit an amazing 40 yard hook onto the green with a gap wedge. I have never seen anybody hook a gap wedge, but Baba Watson can hook or slice anything. I think he's proved that. So a little bit of history on the 10th hole. Amazing, isn't that?
0: hands pure hands, hands. So good.
2: all hands yeah i can do it it's just Love never it. on purpose that's the problem exactly yeah, I, so. <laughs> I can look like a genius when i don't need the shot uh let's jump into the 11th um so was called dogwood now it's called white dogwood so same kind of element a massive change in number 11 uh, specifically in yards i think it's picked up 90 yards over the years that's i that's amazing And it's also the beginning of Amen Corner. So maybe go into the the origin story of the 11th hole.
1: So, um, yeah, basically, uh, the the tee used to play what appears to be right of the 10th green. uh, But to gain the added yardage, they moved it left and back. So in in doing that, the, the hole has essentially been straightened out from a very severe dog leg to a relatively straight hole with perhaps a a slight turn in it i don't think anyone would confuse it with a a proper dog leg as far as laid out although it still needs to be played as such um the other thing that's really changed is the fact that there was a stream or a creek that was uh front left and and now that's been replaced by a, a large pond it's quite interesting that uh uh, there's uh, seems to have been a, a, a favorably uh, looked upon improvement at Augusta because Clifford Roberts, Robert Trent Jones, and Byron Nelson all claim to have come up with that uh, that idea. So quite interesting.
2: Really? So we lose. <laughs> is what? I mean, just from looking at it, you look. It's hard to quantify here, but it looks like the the fairway has been narrowed by sixty six percent. Is that fair? I mean, just by eyeballing it.
0: It really is narrow. I mean, it's
2: really narrow. And then, as I understand, the pond, uh, I could be wrong on this, was added by Robert Trent Jones, um, senior, which would definitely fit into his heroic design style. And I, I think you mentioned this is one of the most, I mean, one of the massive changes on this course, from the strategic side to the design, massively changed over time obviously lengthened
0: Or there is almost no other hole that's changed as much as this one I would say even Seven in its um, in its character this is just a completely different style of hole um, there was of course a creek which was greenside which did play a part um, so you, you didn't want to be coming in from the right let's say um, But yes, this has turned from being a uh, a sort of choice making hole, where you can cut stuff off with a dog leg. You know, you can come in from different sides of a fairway to being a basic one style of shot, one style of play hole.
2: Yeah, and I, I'm looking at um, your your description of Alistair McKenzie's str- strategic explanation of this hole. If you wouldn't mind going to that, if people are watching the telecast while watching this podcast or listening to the podcast. And they're watching uh, folks enter uh, hole number eleven. The beginning of Amen Corner. Uh, I think his explanation of the strategic nature of this hole is kind of null and void to what we have today. Just uh, yeah. I mean, the width in the pond changed almost everything.
1: Absolutely. So there, there does appear to have been a, a center line bunker. Um, at, at some point uh, and where and why and how that all disappeared is, is conjecture really. Uh, it wasn't on the watercolour. Um, it does seem to appear perhaps on the June 32 sketch and then on the uh, as-built it is there. So there appears to be a centerline bunker and the way that the green is orientated before the pond was there it was better to be on the outside, so the far side of the dog lake, rather than the inside of the dog lake. Um, but again, even if the hole hadn't been straightened and lengthened, um, the, the it would have been better now with the pond in front to be on the right-hand side of that fairway to come in. Although at the moment, there's probably not enough fairway to... If you're in the fairway, you're probably happy, let alone worried about which side you're going <laughs> to No be kidding, on. right? Especially <laughs> on this hole.
2: Yeah. And maybe this is incredibly unfair, but it looks like the best shot of the hole now is certainly the one that you can get in the fairway. I mean, it's it's much narrower than the original, where you looked, it looks like you had maybe 50 yards of option left or right that would bring that stream into play, or perhaps the you know the charming approach into the green versus today which you know obviously belted into that narrow corridor and you know hope you catch that, gra- that short grass
0: i mean you could do what tiger did in the final round last year and just go go way right and then uh yeah. it out the trees and right worldy out the tree stop it dead on the green and no worries Carry only on. tiger
2: only, Only tiger. Tiger.
0: <laughs> I think, as far as we know, the information we have is that there, there was a, a bunker added by Jones in '35 for that Masters. It wasn't there in '34, apparently. Um, so whether or not it was there as built according to the the Olmsted plan, um, we don't know. But it, it kind of might have been there, might have not at the start. But it definitely was for '35, and then subsequently it was taken away.
2: So as you look at your evolution and and the different designs of that hole, it disappears quick, immediately, fairly yes. quickly. Yeah, yeah yeah either
0: immediately or was never there was put in and then taken away <laughs> it's
2: i mean it's absolutely fascinating I, I had notes here somewhere but i think we had centerline bunkers on like four holes mm-hmm. when yeah, i, I mean, that first looked at it
0: that's a traditional centerline bunker as we know it i guess um lee patterson our friend on twitter pointed lovely. out. lovely yeah yeah great guy uh the, the center centerline bunker because it's in the center of the fairway wasn't necessarily strictly speaking a centerline bunker on, on the old uh, what is the second now you know, off the drive, it's, it's a sort of long, um, uh, what would you call it? lateral bunker, rather than necessarily a center line in the strictest sense of the word. So, But this one was, by the yeah.
2: Any other comments on the 11th? All right, That's I'll it. jump in. So this one is uh, hole number 11. I, mean, I I call this one the hometown chip-in. Facing off against Greg Norman and Steve Balliseris in a playoff for the 1987 Masters, Larry Mize played Augusta National like it was his home club the Augusta of native chipped in on Greg Norman on the 11th hole to win the masters for his one and only major, the hometown champion. All right, let's move into the 12th hole, 12th hole golden bell. We are in the heart of amen corner. Walk us through. Cause this, this hole's changed. I mean, maybe not dramatically from the length, um, but it's changed quite a bit in some of the elements available around the green jump into the 12th
1: yeah so this one's quite fascinating um because there is so much difference between the watercolor uh the sketch the the as built um the illustrations in in the program um so uh, between all of them uh there's essentially goes from having no bunkers to having four or five bunkers which which is is pretty amazing oh that's in the
2: early renderings of the course
1: yeah, so in the, the original watercolor, uh, there is no bunkers uh, in the front, but two behind. Um, there doesn't appear to be any bunkers on the hand-drawn map uh, of note. Uh, and then when you look at the as-built, there appears to be what is four uh, and even one near the the bridge, which is quite interesting. that
0: does it does feature in early photography. Um, there are some very, very early photographs that feature those bunkers in them.
1: and And then later on, it shows uh, yeah, a couple to the rear. Um so it, I mean the one thing that you can definitely say is that there was a few different variations of the bunkers around that green, especially early on.
0: I think they were heavily, also heavily dictated on what they could do with the surrounding land of that green because they had serious trouble with flooding. Um, there are also some wonderful pictures of very early days where people are walking across sort of temporary looking boards and um, wading through squelchy squelchy ground. So they, they obviously had some serious trouble with the flooding. And I think that led to their subsequent um, uprooting of the green and and pushing it further back up the hill.
2: Yeah the, yeah, the twelfth is fascinating. I think when you look at old photos, and I, I, this is probably true for all of Augusta National, probably going all the way back to the fifties, of you know, it's not, it's not the Augusta National we think of today, which, uh, for good or bad, is that perfectly green, you know, not a flower out of place. It's, I mean, those early images you get of the course are rugged. I mean, specifically mm. the green complex. And the surrounding area of the 12th is just, I mean, it's just so different. I mean, you can look at, I'm looking at an old photo now, and you can see the structure. The green is pretty close to the same, but the surrounds, I mean, obviously we were adding, you know, the beautiful colors of the flowers and all those things that we've grown accustomed to. Whereas in the, you know, and when it opened, it was basically a grassy hill behind with a, perhaps a bunker. Was there a bunker in the back when it opened?
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. 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 I mean, this is just, in my opinion, one of the the holes that absolutely is better than it was. I mean, I know. I think you're right. No, I I think you're exactly right.
2: (laughs) Um,
0: It's just wonderful. Um, You know, what it does in the tournament where it appears in the round. um, There are just no complaints with what they've done. It's so good.
2: (laughs) It's, it's a easy birdie or an easy double bogey, depending on how you hit that shot. And it's what I love about this hole is they haven't, you know, they've added things to it. They beautified it perhaps, but they haven't changed the distance so much. I think they've added five yards over the history of this hole and good for them. I mean, I think it's a great time in the round to ask the best players in the game to hit a 150 yard shot with peril long and peril short. Mm-hmm. And I believe McKinsey um, alludes to where you're supposed to hit the ball, even in the description, doesn't he say, you know, you should be hitting for the fat part of the green in his description of how to play the hole.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So basically he says that, um, the, it would be the only the, uh, the bold player that would go for the pit on the right, and Then he calls the one that would go for the left uh, the less ambitious player.
2: Yeah, <laughs> and there are a lot of st- a lot of tales from the masters about people who should have been less ambitious. Yep, any
0: par three that um, invokes strategy has got to be a good thing, right?
2: No doubt. And like I said, it's I I think there's not enough said about the short par three in our game. I mean, every I I don't see too many people that really ooh and ah over a 250-yard par 3. But when you make a a professional, even at the highest level of the game, or an amateur for that instance, hit a 130-yard shot, like perhaps the 17th at TPC Sawgrass, even though I'm not a huge fan of that hole, I think things get really interesting. Because there's a difference between executing a great shot and having a shot that you should execute great. And the expectations <laughs> yeah, well and outcomes of that are character building or destroying.
0: Mm. Exactly. I mean, you can imagine this year uh, of all years, this is going to be so strange because there are no patrons there. There's nobody. I mean, no. it's an eerie enough experience know. as it is no stands around that green there's nothing it's just a a sort of big bizarre open space where the t sits there's normally some people behind you and then you go over there and walk the bridge and you're on your own and it's very quiet and stuff but can you imagine the whole course
2: is going to feel like the 12th hole yeah right (laughs) it's just going to be eerie eerie and quiet and yeah it's going to be fascinating i'm really looking forward to it all right any other things we want to add on the 12th I'll, i'll give you a little factoid you probably know this by now um the 12th hole, the 12th green, actually is uh, the sitting place of an Indian burial ground. Did you happen to know that?
0: Uh, no. Poltergeist. Yeah. I,
2: like Indian, so I I give it the the same connection point as the Valley of Sin, which I'm sure you know has uh, a mass burial ground under the Valley of Sin, that green. So those two are connected in more ways than one.
0: Indeed. This is also the site of the, uh, the sad scene between um, uh, Kim Venturi and the... And, oh, that's um, correct. Palmer. Arnold Palmer
2: and the cheating. And room. yeah, that was a hot mess. Not my story. Oddly no. enough, No, I'm going to a more <laughs> recent one because it stings still <laughs> to this day. Yeah. I know, you know where I'm going, but in 2016, Jordan speed had a five stroke lead entering the back nine at Augusta national. He started the back nine with back to back bogeys on ninth and 10th or on 10 and 11. One of the handshake holes, the 10th hole. And on the 12th hole, Spoth spieth pulled a nine iron seemingly aiming for the flag being the uh, the player shot as mckinsey might have said and hit it fat i mean a big piece of sod flew into the air and his ball found ray's creek he then as fate would have it decided to hit a second shot with that same nine iron and fate as we have it is a cruel mistress and it too found the watery grave of Ray's Creek. He lost six strokes in three holes and finished T2, three strokes behind Danny Willett. The spirits of the 12th hole in the Indian burial ground capture another victim. Oh, still hurts. Sure did. Still hurts. He was there. Good for Danny Willett, though. Closed out the yeah. match. Doesn't um, hurt for Danny. So good much. for him. So we're going into, we're coming back into a homage hole. This is one of Cypress' 17th hole. Uh, it was, it's called Azalea. It once was 480 yards and has had a minor change in distance, if you can call 30 yards minor, compared to the 60 and 70 and 90-yard uh, additions to these holes. Go into the history of the 13th hole, if you don't mind, gentlemen. He's pointing at you, Joe. Okay, I got
0: this one. (laughs) Okay, what I found fascinating is that across the different sketches and watercolours and things, there are some scorecards that have been added. And I know these things sort of change. The the, um, yardage that they put in there was rounded up to the nearest five. So it was all kind of loose. But but what isn't loose is that he's put in in both sketches from 31 and 32. He's got this listed as, of course, it's the fourth hole back then. He's got it listed as a par four. Uh, and also for, it's not just a typo the 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 par for that nine is 35 interesting so the, the par was seven yeah
2: par 71 par before, four so. at 480 yards
0: yeah, well actually he he says in the in the sketches that it's four four five off the championship oh two, but, okay you know, all right it depends on where you it depends on how you measure it because it's such a pronounced dogleg that obviously where you take your sort of center line measurements dictates that yardage quite heavily but um, the, what I find amazing is that not only, I mean, he, he of course says that, that his par fives are, are meant to be hittable in two by the very finest two shots, uh, which is great. What I do find interesting is that he lists this as a par four. Uh, you know, what, what's the thinking? What, what is he thinking about on this hole? Because the green was obviously so huge and used to tail off so much and run right along the side of the creek and was, you know, almost double size what we have today. You know, did he think it was a, generally speaking, a two shot hole? And if so, you know, are we getting our <laughs> knickers in a twist, let's say, about people hitting it too, you know, when it was originally a two-shot hole? I don't know. I mean, you know, yes, we don't want to see a driver and a sort of half wedge into the green, but, but two shots, maybe it was always a two-shot hole. I don't know.
2: And you know, it's a fascinating hole, though, really. If you There are definitely different ways to play it. Zach Johnson laid up every single time and won the Masters. And yeah. there's been some amazing eagles and birdies galore on that hole. That's certainly a scream worthy hole for the patrons to cheer on birdies and Eagle attempts.
0: True. I mean, it's my favorite hole. Not that anyone cares <laughs> what I think. Is. <laughs> I think it's such a great hole. I mean, you know, we can't, the elephant in the room is that they bought this patch of land at the back and they rerouted the, um, Augusta country club hole to accommodate this new land. They've taken the road around the outside. It's sitting there primed. Uh, the turf is growing on it according to the latest maps online. Um, they're obviously going to stick a T there. <laughs> uh, it's not this. Year. It may be for the next Masters. maybe the one after that. But at some point, it's coming. Um, it's who knows when.
2: And when we see those famous shots off the, uh, the pine needles, that's something that clearly didn't seem to come in effect when that hole was originally designed. It looks like the width of that fairway on the right-hand side would essentially be where those pine trees were planted years later.
0: Absolutely. It looks as though what was intended was that because of the way the green sat over the creek and the, the sort of shallow nature of the way its um, its axis runs, that the further out and right you went, the less green you had to play with and the more the bunkers at the back came into play, especially with a sort of low running uh, or sort of lower trajectory old-fashioned uh, equipment. So, you know, that was the, the risk and reward involved in it. Um, I, I also suppose that, that people assume when we watch on telly that it's a big gaping sort of downhill shot when actually it's not particularly is it jasper i think it's pretty level um, on average yeah
2: Yeah, that's interesting it does feel like there's a huge change doesn't it mm. Mm. Yeah, I don't know if it's mm. just the sweeping
1: hillside from right to left, but, I mean, that was one thing that I was quite surprised. Um, basically, it's—I uh, mean, it does go a little bit downhill from in front of the T and then back up again towards the green, but more or less the T and the green are, are relatively at the same height. Mm. O- obviously, if you go up to the high side of the Canberra, that fairway will be on a higher point than you will if you're on the lower side on the left by the creek. But, um, yeah, um, more or less so there's not a lot of elevation change there between T height and green height. Which is quite interesting.
2: So he, he alludes to he alludes to um Cypress Point in 17th, but he makes another uh, he alludes a little bit to a hole that he had some responsibility for on a Charles Blair Macdonald course. When he talks about yeah. the strategic explanation of for the hole. Yeah, this
1: is quite interesting. You're probably the expert on this one, uh, looking at the picture that you have behind you, perhaps. But, <laughs> That's uh, right.
2: <laughs> Might be in the background there.
1: It's quite, again, a, a, I think it's what they call like a, a humble brag, maybe. Um, but yeah, basically saying that it's uh, the same, has the best golfing features of the ideal hole depicted in C.B. McDonald's books, which uh, basically were led to believe that uh, this was uh, Mackenzie's Lido. Um, so again, when you look at it, it, y- y- you may not look at that hole and say, yeah, I can exactly see the, you know, the the template for it, but with the extra width and the, the creak, um, you know, coming into play perhaps a bit more than it is now, uh, especially in the
2: Well, and he, he planned on it being a par four initially too, right? So mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I guess one question for both of you is... I guess it's, I I don't know if it's really a strategic element versus, you know, how it's evolved, but would the course be better if we took out those pine trees on the right and we lost that hero shot off the pine straw? We'd lose essentially Phil Mickelson's eagle attempt, right? Uh,
0: uh, Yeah, indeed. I was going to come on to this. I think, um, when people talk of, uh, we can come to this in a second when we talk about this in, in detail, but the, um, when we talk about restorations and um, taking things back to the sort of glory day, the heyday or whatever you want to call it, uh, you, it, you can't think of it in a in a vacuum, can you? Because Augusta is synonymous with drama, and it's a it's a tournament course more than it is a members course. Um, I'm sure other people would disagree if they are members, but that's not many of us. Um, but the, you know the drama, this the the sort of film set nature of the place. Um, if you remove things like that, then you lose shots like that, and you know you can't just change stuff and hope that everything produces what it already produces and keep everything the same. Oh,
2: I mean, if you put me on the spot and you told me that, you know, are you going to remove the pine trees? I I don't think I'd have the guts to say yes to that. I mean, there've been so many amazing attempts from there. Uh, I mean, that's the pure risk reward of those trees. And I'm not a huge tree guy on, on golf courses specifically when they weren't put there, but when it comes to master's history, could you really remove those pine trees and pine needles and lose the that amazing imagery of Phil Mickelson shot into that green, which oddly enough is not my color commentary. (laughs) Ah.
0: (laughs) No, is it, is the answer. I mean, you know, the people who set these, this course up are not stupid. they know what they're doing. Um, And they've, they've created some incredible moments that we, we wouldn't change for the world. So, you know,
2: anything else we want to bring up on this hole? I think you test on it just a little bit there, Connor.
1: Um, the, the, the other thing that I found quite interesting, obviously there's there's a lot of people that, you know, have a, a bugbear about about trees, um, you know, and, and the, the pendulum can swing to, you know, one extreme to the other. And then you, you get some that just feel that, you know, every every course should be devoid of them and, you know, be, golf would be better for it. But actually when you look at McKenzie... Uh, and what he did here originally, the, there were actually trees that were strategically placed on a number of holes. Absolutely, it wasn't the road up. hole,
2: for instance, the, the, mm-hmm. the homage to the road hole. Absolutely,
1: and then even on as as we go in, there's there's a few more examples. So yeah, quite interesting to think that he, you know, he he didn't mind that that was something that he uh, he would do. He he waxed lyrical about
0: the the trees that were already there on site in the orchard, Um, you know, the various types of tree. Um, Of course, he talked about the magnolia down the down the lane, but um, he talked about all the different strains of tree and and was kind of really up for it. Um, So I don't think he was averse to trees, let's say. Um, And he, he always saw this as a sort of tree lined site. Um, particularly because, as as Jasper will come on to shortly, you know, the whole course was set up with an eye on um, selling real estate as well. So it was a sort of dual-purpose site. So, you know, trees, they're pretty, let's face it. If you live in a house next to a course and you see lovely trees, then it's gorgeous. Um, And the two can't really be extricated.
2: Agreed. I'll get into my color analysis here. Uh, In an 18-hole playoff, this is alluding to uh, Billy Joe Patton, who put his ball in the drink and was left out of the playoff. In an 18-hole playoff, Sam Snead was all square through 12 holes with Ben Hogan in the 1954 Masters. Hogan laid up on this hole. Snead decided to go for the green with a three-wood. Snead made birdie and never gave up the lead again, winning the 1954 Masters on this pivotal hole. One might argue that Phil Mickelson, but I had to give homage to the past as uh, (laughs) McKinsey and Jones like to give homage to past architecture greats i have to go back every once in a while to our past Mm -hmm. how about uh the 14th hole now uh, we're back looking at an homage this one of the sixth hole at the old course at saint andrews dive in a little bit to how the 14th hole was originally designed mckinsey's ideas his explanation for its strategic nature and how it's changed
1: yeah. So um, th- this is based after, uh, as you as you mentioned, um, the sixth hole at St Andrews, and it- essentially the element that he he seems to have of taken is the the element of blindness. So if you were to place your your shot uh, in the right side of the fairway, that you would have uh, a better view of your second shot in, and uh, that seems to have been. Uh, helped by the fact that there was some rather pronounced um, uh, mounding in front of the green, to the uh, to the left and and a little uh, slightly smaller to the right, um, but uh, that that is the same type thing that you would find at uh, Heathery Out on on the old course. Uh, you you've got uh, the coffin bunkers um, but if you can stick it closer to the right hand side of the fairway up against those then you've got a really good line in and if you go wide left uh, then <laughs> pretty much uh, pretty much blind so it-
2: it's an interesting change in the strategic nature of this hole because we've lost those bunkers that were you know that McKinsey wanted you to challenge and in doing so we oddly enough added trees down the left side of the fairway to take out that you know potential blind shot into the green. So could you argue that at least McKinsey and Jones's original vision has been augmented quite a bit even though the hole has only changed what 20 yards or so over time? Yeah, 15.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, about that, yeah.
2: And it's now it's now become bunkerless. Am I that's correct, right? Am I thinking of the right hole?
0: yeah it was another um this was you know this features prominently in that famous 1933 oblique shot um where the 14th is in the foreground and it's just a vast sand bunker which is um running as a again it's a more of a lateral or cross bunker than it is a center line one but um yeah it it didn't last that long i think it was maybe sometime in the 40s or 50s where it got filled in because it wasn't really in play but wow what a sight i mean just because it's so
2: i know so close We, we went through a period there, I think in design history, maybe this is more in the States than it was in the UK, but where if it wasn't in play, we decided it'd be a good idea to get rid of it. Like Donald Ross used to have sight bunkers where he'd put it, you know, nowhere in play. It'd be a hundred yards off the tee, but it was just kind of to set up the visual experience of the hole, uh, Mm -hmm. or maybe even a sight line of where to go versus, you know, dare you to hit over it, which was very obtainable even with hickories.
0: Yeah, this is why I wonder about that, that one on the 10th, which is still there and has managed to stay the test of time, even though the bean right. has been moved. You know, I wonder why. Um, it's so beautiful. And I just wonder whether there's room for that. I mean, they'd probably get a lot of stick if all of a sudden they reintroduced a bunker which wasn't in play. And it's like, oh, because it just looks nice. I mean, <laughs> they already get a bit of stick <laughs> for making things look nice, uh, which haven't, don't have a purpose. But there we go. You know, I, I for one, would love to see that bunker right? come back. I it agree. It's about 100 yards long.
2: Any other points we want to make on the 14th? Other than the fact that it was called Spanish Dagger. I'm going to ask for that name to come back. Chinese fur is fine, but Spanish Dagger, I hate to say this. I'm going to swear a little bit, folks. I never do this. Badass. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Sorry, children at home. That wasn't meant for your ears.
1: Yeah, I thought it was interesting. They said that um, basically the, uh, uh, again, the... The hump and bump that was there to obfuscate the the view of the green that Mackenzie was obviously using when he built the hole, um, basically with the aerial gain, it was basically not useful anymore. It didn't serve a purpose, and eventually it was just bulldozed. Um, so even on the fairway now, it's you know the, where it once stood is is just been flattened. Um, but uh, in the in the name of progress, I guess.
2: Yeah, it would be fun. Again, I know we're going to jump into this, but taking that, you know, kind of center line it's kind of off centerline bunker, right? It's not true centerline, yeah. but if you move that up the fairway, 30, 40, 50 yards, and then you made the, you know, added back the width of the fairway on the left and put in the mounding on the front that I think that'd be a fascinating feature to change that hole, but also pay, you know, again, I'm overusing the word today, homage to what was originally there. Wouldn't that be fun? sense. That's that's
1: the interesting thing with centerline bunkers. I mean, I I think it's been well documented that, uh, was it uh, Tom Doak and Brooks Koepka? um, Tom said, you know, what happens if we put a centerline bunker at, you know, 300? He said, I'll blow over it. He said, okay, I'll put it at 340. He said, I'll lay up then. So... But when a center line bunker is a hundred or a hundred and fifty yards long, you know, it does ask a slightly different question. So,
2: although I will say this, I I played a um, Black Sheep in Chicago, and we were playing, and I can't remember if it was a bunker or a grassy bunker. And I said to my buddy, uh, I mean, it was like it was, I don't know, one hundred and eighty yards off the table. I was like, God, you know, what's the deal with that over there? freaking hooked it right into it <laughs> and, I, and i looked at it i was like oh okay that's why that's there then it's yeah. for me it's built for me connor's grassy bunker so true i mean the duffer will find it all the time
0: absolutely i mean if it and again if it's a visual piece of visual stimulus then so be it so right? be it it's not like right? sort of cash
2: yeah they're <laughs> the not short of, of cash insane, we can do right? this it sounds like yeah. we're doing this i'm waiting for that call from Augusta. Oh, wait here's my cell phone yep. uh yeah. i've been hey, banned well, from we, the property
0: we're going to get a call from Augusta, and it, it, yeah, it, won't, be, uh, it won't be one to talk about architecture, will it? <laughs> No. Yeah.
2: Uh, so I'll go into my story. I cheat a little bit because I, I talk about Phil Mickelson hitting the pine straw shot. So uh, this on the 14th hole, then 2010 was certainly Phil Mickelson's masters. Everyone remembers, as we just mentioned, the famous eagle on the 13th off the pine straw uh, with that famous four iron on Sunday. But it was on Saturday. Mickelson made an eagle on the 13th And then hold out on the 14th from the eagle for eagle, going eagle, eagle. A little bit of master's history going eagle, eagle on the 13th and 14th. And then we're going to jump into the 15th hole, which again, again, paying a small bit of homage, just small, to the old course first hole and specifically a feature on that hole. Why don't you dive into that?
1: Yeah, so uh, this one's quite interesting. Um, basically, a, a small burn just in front of the the, the green, uh, which has steadily widened and grown uh, to now become a pond. Um, the, the other notable feature that you can see, uh, in addition to, to being lengthened, um, is the fact that uh, it's been narrowed. Uh, but really, where the trees are on the left-hand side in the pinch point, is almost where the centre of the fairway used to be, and there was almost centre-line trees. Yeah. Which is
2: <laughs> yes, you're right. Looking at you yeah. know, it's funny because now it seems that the trees on the left are where the centre-line trees were, but they've filled in everything to the left of it. Yeah, it, it's
0: fantastic. I mean, this is probably one of the widest single fairways. Um, I've ever seen. Uh, yeah. it's, it's not. Yeah, I mean, on its own. I mean, Augusta uh, across the years has had various sort of multi fairways. There's still, you know, multiple shared fairways right now. The way they mow the, the the grass and such. But this was a single fairway. There was no other shared fairway to it. And they planted trees in the middle of the fairway. I in the mean,
2: middle of the really fairway.
0: Awesome. Yeah, bizarre um they're there in the you can you can see the height of them actually i mean they're tiny so they, they've gone and they've deliberately planted these trees right in the middle of the fairway and you can see them in that 33 aerial There, they're kind of budding little junior trees there so they had some grand scheme for it i'm uh, not quite sure what i mean what does it, what does it do what do, what do trees do there
2: I, well it's we definitely don't have a bunker on this hole back then or now right um yeah that's interesting that they're in play. I mean, clearly we're looking at, you know, we're looking at, I assume we're playing the fade here, right? Off the tee, I'm assuming, to get past that?
0: But, but I don't know why. I mean, yeah. why? it's not, I mean, it's a raised piece of ground in the in sort of in the lower portion of the sorry that's a bad description that's awful uh, <laughs> we're, we're looking at um some raised ground to the left of the trees as you're playing downhill at the green and you're driving on the left side there's sort of raised ground which will naturally kick the ball to the right hand side um you know being over to the left of the trees i don't see the advantage of that because your angle into the green you have less green to play with uh, it's a longer shot to hit the green surface Um, And I don't know what that portion of left fairway is serving at all. Um, So I can see why they they pinched it in. But what I can't see is why they would plant trees there. I mean, it's already bad enough to be on the left side, let alone being behind trees.
2: Right. I don't get it. Yeah, no, I get that 100%. You can be in the, actually, even today, you can get in the fairway and not have a shot because the tree's in front of you. Or you'd have to shape a shot would probably be a better way to put it. Yeah. And then uh, I think you mentioned that you have a little bit of a discrepancy in the water in front of the green from what was drawn up versus what was in the program.
1: Yeah, that's it. So there, there seems to be quite, uh, quite a difference. Um, on the original sketches and uh, even in the, the diagrams, it is labeled as a stream. Um, but when you look at the diag or the, the illustration in the program, there is, is very obviously a, a pond with a bridge to the left, and in fact, even in Mackenzie's description, he says that there is a pond in front of the green. So, sometime between 31 and 34, um, that was significantly widened, um, and, and then obviously dammed up and, and created a bit bit bigger. The pond was created, anyways, um, to to what we know what we know today
0: it steadily got larger and larger depending on what they were doing with the damming at the time and and you know it's a tributary to Ray's Creek isn't it so they were trying to divert water in various directions and part of that was changing the next hole as we'll come on to but yeah part and parcel of it was creating sort of more of a a wide waterfront which must have been difficult at the time because he is asking for an amazing two-shot um Mm. two-shot you know attempt I mean it's a it's a downhill shot. So if you play a sort of undercooked um, long iron or, or wooden-headed club, then you're, you're looking at a big downhill kick, which, you know, if you didn't want to go for a layup, you certainly aren't going to get it because it's going to end up in the creek. Right. So, and yeah.
2: again, I mean, whether it's a creek or the pond, that strategic element of taking a shot that you should be able to pull off and two with two great shots like McKenzie wanted, all of a sudden becomes a decision for the, the better player. Is it worth going it for it to two, or are we going to take again the uh, the Zach Johnson route of laying up and trying to get birdie on the hole?
0: Yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it? I mean, it I mean,
2: all yeah. these holes are really. Yeah. None. It doesn't seem like any are easy birdies at all. I mean, at least to the average golfer, I can't imagine look at any one of these with brimming with confidence that I'm taking home <laughs> par guaranteed. Doesn't <laughs> no, seem to be a layup hole. <laughs> Uh, any other things on the 15th? No, you fire on. All right. So one of my favorite stories. Uh, Gene Sarazen was down three strokes with four holes to play in the second ever Masters, which was the 1935 Masters. Sitting 235 yards out on the par 5 15th hole, he pulled out his forewood, aptly named after a bird, Dodo. He cleared the creek and the ball dropped into the hole for a double eagle, which helped push him into a playoff with Craig Wood, which he won. Sarazin skipped the first Masters, by the way, because he believed Jones only started the Masters because the USGA denied Augusta National a U.S. Open. The shot was known as the shot heard round the world and is considered a major tipping point in helping to promote the new tournament, which eventually became a major. Dodo, by the way. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah. Dodo. No,
1: it, it does. Yeah. a new one.
2: And apparently there is some dispute, by the way, of where Dodo is, of whether okay. it was donated or kept in his collection, or there's a little bit of history's mysteries there that I'll dive into in a future podcast.
1: And it's not in your closet.
2: It's not. It might be right over there. I'm just... Let me grab it. Let me grab it. No, I'm kidding. I don't have it, folks. It's not me. Don't blame me. Um, we're going to go into, I think, probably one of the most memorable holes. I think everybody thinks of Amen Corner, but I think... It's really hard to not think of the 16th when it comes to Master Sunday, because we all know where that pin's going to be. We've seen a slew of birdies. Uh, Let's jump into the 16th, which has also seen uh, quite a bit of change over its uh, design. So why don't we dive into that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. This this one is, uh, uh, again, probably, there's not much here that you could attribute to McKenzie whatsoever, um, essentially. The the green has been put on the opposite side of w- where it was, and and the T has been moved from the <laughs> the the right side of the <laughs> the fifteenth green to the to the left side. So originally it played uh, over a creek to a, a somewhat shallow green. Yeah, would you call that uh, like
2: Nab- it was? It's not a true like uh, east to west creek. It was more of a. Uh, would you call that like a cross creek? It was running. Kind of north, it's, south, east, west on a slant. It's similar to that the fair-
0: wall at, um, at North Berwick, isn't it? I mean, it's it's very yeah. similar. Sort of angle It sits beside the green, horizontally. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's a good good way to 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 describe it, actually. Um, yeah, so you almost had to like go, go over the creek, running the lengthwise of it to to access that green, and then like what they have now is yeah, completely different. Uh, over a pond to a kidney-shaped green surrounded by bunkers. so
2: with a strong back to front slide. so how do, when did that change come about? When did we lose that original design? and do we do we have any notes on why that changed?
0: Yeah, it changed in forty eight, um, apparently. <laughs> um, Robert Ten- uh, Trent Jones made the change. It was actually a change requested by um, Bobby Jones, apparently. he Really? He thought it, yeah. He, he thought it was a weaker version of the 12th, of Golden Bell. Um, they had a similar sort of strategy with the, la- um, the angle of the uh, the water hazard in front. Um, they came quite close together in the round. Um, and he just thought it was a slightly weaker version. So they dammed up the creek, made it into a significant pond and played it in sort of 30, 40 degrees in a different angle, different direction. Also, the, the tee was very, very close to the back of the previous green, uh, and it was a bit dangerous, I think. Sure,
2: yeah, when people are going for it in two, yep. absolutely, yep. and you definitely want to make sure you uh, don't go into the water, you're going to go long, <laughs> which happens today, even, right? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. the, the hole was based off of uh, a course in the UK, or at least an homage to it. Go in and Have you? Have either of you played Stoke Park, by chance? I
1: haven't. No. No. Um, but Harry I, th- I think there, right? yeah, Harry Colt. Yeah, just uh, not far from Heathrow in in West London. Um, but yeah, the uh, the probably the the nearest version to the original. Uh, so, well, what is the sixteenth now? Is probably in London, <laughs> which is quite interesting to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still there. Yeah, so. Um, the, the interesting thing about that green too, when you look at it, it was almost a Birritz, uh, in nature. So it was high on the one side and then low in the middle and then back up high on the other. So it was kind of like, uh, yeah, uh, a mix between North Berwick and Birritz, uh, with, with a little bit of, uh, Stoke Park influence. So yeah, interesting hole, uh, which bears no resemblance to what it is today.
2: Yeah. I'm not going to argue it's not a better hole, but it is fascinating thinking of a Birritz there. With the creek coming into play, I, like I said, I, I think it's a better hole for what it is. Did we say that Robert Trent Jones, we think he made that change? Yeah,
0: he was the man who suggested it. which again
2: um, kind of comes yeah. back to the heroic carryover water. He was probably one of the great influencers to bring more water into play in golf courses in the United States, so it's not a big shocker that two of the <laughs> holes he touched at Augusta have water where there once was a creek so. <laughs> <laughs> what
0: I, I find interesting is um is the addition of bunkers on the right side um so when they built it they, they it's always had the bunkers that it has today except for the new one which well not new but it was uh, then added subsequently short left, or well, not short left but but the left side of the green um i'm not i personally don't know what what purpose the short right bunker serves i'm struggling to work that out Anyway, that's just a side issue.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, <laughs> you know, it doesn't. The, the other
0: two bunkers. Yeah, are nobody really
2: position. finds it. Right, they're usually in the water, going for the green. I guess yeah. it depends and on the pin position.
0: On. But yeah, sure, sure, it must do. But the, the the one at the back on the right is incredible because obviously, you're, oh. if you're hitting a, a bottom pin, then you oh, you don't want to skull one straight out the back Devilish. and you get it <laughs> <right>, dribbled <laughs> to the other bunker on the other
2: side. <laughs> amazing,
0: but I'm not sure about the sure right one. Must be pin position.
2: Like yeah this. i just I, I don't know the whole thing about it i just I, I i would love to see i've seen some pictures of that hole in its original state and it's obviously it looks nothing like what it does today but it's actually a little bit fascinating to me as well with that you know the beer dip if you will in the middle of the green yeah incredible. but i'm not going to argue i mean let's face it what would the masters be without the 16th hole I think Indeed. if you get a par on the sixteenth on Sunday, you've you've lost a, a guaranteed a stroke on the field. Mm. I mean you have to feel yeah. that way. That's true. Any other comments before I go into my story? I don't my, crack uh, that. Might yeah. literally yeah. be one of the most obvious stories of all time.
0: <laughs> I was gonna say. Yeah. It doesn't require crystal ball to no. On.
2: So uh this I, this story is called Be Good It Is. Jack Nicholas making the charge of the ages in 1986 when he came upon the 16th. Nicholas pulled a five iron out. A pure strike was on its way when his son said, be good, to which Jack nonchalantly said, it is. And it was a four foot birdie. And Nicholas was on his way to winning his sixth Masters and the final major of his career. Again, wouldn't have been possible with the old 16th. So we're very thankful for the hole we have. So I guess the other one, let's, let's not forget the other one that I fought with. I could, I had to go with be good. It is, but let's face it. The other one was the lob wedge Tiger Woods used to chip in from the back part of the green, the improbable birdie that clearly was a Nike commercial for that golf ball. I think he had a phenomenal ball. The image of the swoosh, basically trickling, stopping, and then falling in to help him seal the 2005 masters. Again, we wouldn't have either one of those moments with the original green. I don't think we're going to see that on a beer. It's, so perhaps some changes are best. For sure. It's, it's a cracker. All right. Let's dive into another hole that it's a, I'd call it a weird homage, perhaps the old course, the St. Andrew's old course, the 14th in reverse dive into the history of the 17th and McKinsey's thoughts.
1: Yes. This one's a uh, quite Quite an interesting one. Um, Obviously, the uh, the famous fourteenth, and and does admit that it is reversed. So, um, basically, you want to attack the green from the right. Um, And again, he he calls upon this running shot, which he you know essential or was essential, I guess, at his time uh, when playing St Andrews. Uh, So, almost flirting with that right side all the way up. Uh, to be able to to attack the pin on the approach, um, again there is some you know the the 14th at St Andrews obviously is is a bit more uh, one dimensional now just because of the where the the tee box has been put further to the right. I mean the only option is really to to go way left and then play it in from the left, um, where. In McKenzie's day, the, the, the tee would have been further or closer to the, the 13th green, and you, you would have had the option to either go up the right and shorten the hole or, or hit it out left. So you can you can almost see what he was trying to do, um, uh, pick your side and, and go for it, uh, where now it's a little bit more uh, – again, if you can find the fairway, it doesn't really matter which side you're on. if you're.
2: <laughs> well, I think what I find fascinating, I, I think you have in the 1933 green uh, sketch – is a 12-foot-high mound on the left of the green. A 12-foot-high mound. That is yeah, absolutely unbelievable, yeah.
1: right? Yeah, right beside the green. So coming in from that left-hand side, um, yeah, you, you'd, you'd definitely not be able to see a whole lot there. And what's even more curious about that is that, again, coming back to a, a, a phenomenon that we've spoken of previously, is that there, there appears to have been trees right in the middle of the fairway again um almost 3 that that grew up over time um, which <laughs> which now kind of delineates the the edge of the fairway as opposed to being in now, the middle of it
2: was one of those greens the eisenhower tree i assume it was i, I don't know actually i would think I so mean, right because it was it? rather large by the 1950s when we had eisenhower complaining about it so i would think it would have to be an original tree rather than added in you know at any point in the future does that make sense I think,
0: yeah, I think you're right. Um, and I mean, we I, lost yeah, that tree, of course, in 2014. Yeah.
2: 2014,
1: yeah, they lost it, yeah.
0: Yeah, the one on the right-hand side.
2: We lost um, it, but it's okay because there's plenty more. <laughs> that is really narrow, by the way. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the aerial today, and it is that is a narrow little shoot to shoot that thing through.
0: For sure. It's, uh, it's in a similar category as, um, as 15 for how narrow it's become from what it was. It's, uh, it's, it's a completely changed off.
2: I mean, to me, it looks like the most narrow of all the corridors. I don't know if that's the case or if it's just a matter of scale.
0: I'm not sure either. I mean, for a 440 yard par 4, it's, um, it's tight. It is tight. Well, uh, I mean, they've introduced, what's, what's funny is they're not scared of introducing um, things that are similar to what came before. I mean, they've got tongue like uh, features on the green now, which was never there. You know, before it was a sort of sideways turned bean shape you know, it was more of a width across <laughs> rather than deep. And uh, and now it's become this sort of splayed um, diamond formation green, um, you know, with the sort of run up that we all know that carries balls back down as the fairway. You know, I'd, I'm not sure why they couldn't reintroduce that on other holes where that used to be a feature. If you don't get it up there, then you end up back down at your feet and you've got a chip from there.
2: Yeah, absolutely. But, I, I will say when looking at, and perhaps this is unfair because I'm looking at it in one dimension, but the 17th in the original design outside of the fairway tree uh, seems to be a bit benign from a design standpoint. Now I'm not factoring in, you know, any mounding around the green that was influential and specifically the green complex. Not that I'm not looking at that either, but it looks like a straightaway tee shot to a rather wide green. Uh, Now rather, you know, we have bunkers on that green and is a def- uh, definitely a defined shoot that they must hit it through.
0: Connor, are you suggesting they've improved
2: the hole? I, I, I think everything <laughs> they've done has been perfect. <laughs> and you can reach me at the Society of Golf Historians at gmail.com for tea times. Thank you. Okay, no, I kid, I kid. Uh, any yeah, other
1: points? Uh, yeah, go ahead. It's almost uh, looking at the uh, the diagram in the in the program. The the, the center line or the, the way that they're encouraging you to play the hole, ideally, was almost to aim for that uh, tree on the right-hand side of what was originally the fairway. Uh, and then that would give you the the line in around the mounding, which would have been on the left of the green. Um, that makes yeah, sense, right? So, I
2: mean, it's, it's yeah. you know, the strategic, we're going to have you aim at something you don't want to hit or be in, and mm-hmm. the best shot's going to get the best reward.
1: And slightly uphill, but yeah, as far as, like, um, clear and present danger. Uh, the original one again was probably you know, there wasn't a whole lot there that would, in you know, inspire too much uh, trepidation.
2: Yeah. Well, if you have anything else, I'll let you have the floor. If not, I'll go into uh, color on the on the seventeenth. Am I free to go? Absolutely. All right. This one may be obvious too. I, I mean, he's getting a lot of airplay here today. Uh, this one I uh, I call, uh, yes, sir. The birdie was nearly as good as Vern Lundquist's epic call. Nicholas sinks an 18-foot birdie putt to help shoot a back 930 to seal his last major of his career. Nicholas finished birdie, 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 bogey, birdie, par, eagle, birdie, birdie, par to finish that Masters 1986. I think wow. anybody in the field would take that. In the upcoming weeks, unbelievable. Now I will I'll give you a, a asterisk. The other one, which is far less amazing, um, and I believe even ended in a in a par. But I'll tell you what: one of the most memorable shots in the 2019 Masters was Tiger Woods hitting the fairway on the 17th. <laughs> Am I wrong? Am I wrong? Like when you know you know for a fact. He hits the fairway, he won the tournament. I mean, it was just like everyone is holding bated breath. Tiger Woods on the tee box. He just birdies the 16th. He comes in the 17th. And I'm like, oh, please, please, please just hit a good shot. Please, you know, I'm almost like, hit an iron. Please do something. You know, like, you know, a bogey's fine. Just don't. Oh, gosh.
1: And when he hit it,
2: I I just I could have turned off the TV (laughs) other than, you know, the the uh, the trickiness of his bogey on the 18th or the 72nd hole. But I mean, that was the one where you're like, if he hits one one in the trees right now, anything's possible. And quite frankly, it would have been like Tom Watson at the open. I probably would have started crying and wanted to break stuff. And I wouldn't (laughs) talk to my kids for three days. (laughs) Am I wrong? Like you saw that. Like, didn't you say like, okay, he's won the tournament? It yeah, felt like the uh,
0: but then but then when he stood up next to the ball, he thought, "God, he's got a difficult shot." He's I know, Jeez, yeah, right. He's have yeah, to it, shape on-
2: it doesn't. <laughs> it does not take. I mean, it's so hard now. Yeah. I mean, like I, I just said, it was. It felt like semi benign to me in the earlier drawings, and now you're like, you've got all these different things working against you, uh, the shoot that you have to make it into, and then that green is just diabolical today, mm-hmm. specifically with the green speeds we have to deal with. Yeah.
0: Horrendous. You hit it on the back in the front pin position. Yeah.
2: All right. So we're we're entering the eighteenth. We're we're getting done with our round here. Fortunately, hopefully we've parred the seventeenth. You know, all of us have birdied the sixteenth. We're coming down to the last hole. Lots of changes. Some minor, but lots of changes to the eighteenth. Why don't you dive in to the history of the eighteenth and Alistair McKenzie's thoughts?
1: Yeah, so the um Uh, basically as we all know it's the the dog leg right um and uh slightly well not slightly but quite a lot uphill um it originally was 420 and now obviously 465 um but overall the uh the, the 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 shot or the the stroke integrity is is the same um the same questions have really been asked um basically shot up to the corner and then you know over the bunkers into the into the into the green um the the thing here that uh, again I, I was uh perhaps one of those little things that uh I, I was quite excited about when i saw was the uh the mounding or the uh, the knob or the the small uh, little little bit inside the, uh, the the fairway bunker again three times you see it on on there but it was something that i'd only ever seen on simpson um, use where you kind of put this little mound or create a donut shape inside the bunker, but it's just something you don't see often. And, uh, to see a little piece of that is, is quite interesting. Three times, uh, on Augusta.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a funny one, isn't it? I mean, the, the bunkers on the left-hand side of the drive were a later addition. This one did have a center line bunker in, uh, in its original form. So, uh, I don't know the center line bunker is actually in an extremely good place for today's game. Um, i don't know what you think about that no i agree with that
2: i agree 100 i i think it's interesting i think and you you have the drawings i don't have them in front of me but i believe the bunkery on the left was an an attempt to i'd call it jack proof the course if i'm not mistaken i believe that was an addition that they added for jack nicholas and his length off the tee
0: yeah, apparently so. It was a Masters record they reacted to and and tried to jack proof, as you say. Um, I think Clifford Roberts was was sort of instrumental in this as well. I think he reacted quite heavily to any kind of Mickey taking of the course and scoring too well, so he put those in there. Um, as we know, the likes of Seve and whoever else could just blaze it over the top and accept whatever lie they got the other side and play from there. <laughs> um, but subsequently this this kind of crazy shoot that they've created uh, with the tiger proofing has, you know, created one shot type, which is you either hit it in the bunker short of them or, you know, try and blaze it over the top and hope for the best. Or
2: God forbid you go in those, the, the pines. I mean, you just don't know what you're going to get over. It's such, no. I mean, you really look at the narrow nature of it's that change. So thin. All those All those trees have been added to the left side yeah. of the fairway. We've pushed that centerline bunker which quite frankly it's fascinating to me and they mm. pushed it to the left and added a second bunker yeah it's just i mean it's quite yeah. quite the change there but it's equally sure, fascinating it's, what did did we have anything from Alistair McKenzie his thoughts on the design of this hole or did he do a, a watercolor of this one by chance
1: uh, so just taking a look at the watercolor uh, yeah so the final uh, final hole in Eight, nine. yeah so basically um yeah the the original bunker well what could be termed as wing bunkers on the- uh entrance to the green left and right and then short left in the fairway so um yeah it appears to to have remained somewhat similar around the green um, but obviously the center line bunker was moved to the left and then split in two um but yeah, that was uh it, it, it has stayed relatively true to what uh, McKenzie originally had had painted. Um, and with regards to uh, the sketch, yeah, r- relatively the same as well. It um, has.
2: Okay. Interesting. Yeah, it shows, I mean, the shape uh, looks similar. It's a little longer. Uh, it's definitely, I mean, it's, there's a common theme of narrowness. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a common theme of additional bunkers or moving bunkers, I should say. In this case, there's one additional bunker, and they've moved it to the left versus that center line.
1: What's interesting, though, is on his uh, 32 uh, drawing, it, it almost has like a green with with two tongues left and right with it, one center bunker. Oh, really? Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and the that, center the bunker with structure. two tongues on the left and right, like a lion's left mouth right. bunker? Mm-hmm. Some, yeah, very
1: much so, yeah. And then on the as-built, obviously, it, it loses the left tongue but has the right. Oh, um, fascinating. So, and then the additional bunker on the right. So, again, between, between June and November of 1932, Augusta National would have been a very interesting place to be.
2: Right? As they figure <laughs> out what it's finally going to look like, what the budget will hold, perhaps? Well, I, I tell you, this yeah. has been a fascinating study of these 18 holes. I hope people have enjoyed it as much as I have. Let's Let's do the hypothetical here. Uh, our phone rings. It's not ringing right now. Um, it rings, and they say, "Listen, we love the podcast. Evaluate Eighteen, you know, Society of Golf Historians, and talking golf history. We want you to come consult on the restoration of Augusta National." I don't wait for that phone call, guys. You can go out to dinner tonight. We're fine. If, if, or, or do I say if or when? When the call comes, what recommendations? what us 3 make to restoring augusta national bearing in mind that it is the site the only major that returns to the same site every year and will be played by the best golfers in the game i think the bit you add at the at the end there changes
0: the question quite it does a
2: lot. yeah we can't we can't <laughs> make it the way it was right i mean this no, i think no. it would be I mean, it would be full-scale attack if it were that yeah. way.
0: No, the toothpaste can't be put back in the tube. Right. Um, we are <laughs> we're, we're, we're where we are, and there's no change in it. Um, we, I, I think we've always got to remember that these guys are working on a, uh, the world's biggest blockbuster golf uh, film every single year, and they smash it out of the park. Um, some years are more memorable than others, but my God, they put on a show. Yeah, And it's always entertaining, it's always thrilling, and it produces moments like we've just said. And um, and they know how to produce those moments. It's a film set, and they, they manoeuvre things, they lever things the way that need to be levered. And they adapt quickly. They've got enough finance to do it, and the reason they've got enough finance is because they've done things the way they've done them. Um, It's clever, it's smart, they know what they're doing. They're an amazing production team. <laughs> so for us, uh, nobody's to come in... Sorry, not you, Connor. Uh, for us, nobody's to come in here <laughs> and... Uh, and to start, start suggesting stuff as big and bold. But I just think the more beauty you can get in there, the better. And at the moment, beauty in some eyes, mine included, would would be to get away from necessarily the sort of smooth, rounded corners of everything and try and reintroduce some random um, visuals. I think random shapes to Bunker in particular. Uh, and to maybe introduce some bits and pieces that don't necessarily um, lend themselves initially obviously, to the design strategy, but more to the sort of, I don't know, the original aesthetics.
2: The original aesthetics. Yeah, Yeah. I get that. Mm. I mean, I agree. I think if we're to look at what was and what is, I mean, clearly, we're still talking about, in some people's minds, the greatest golf course on this planet, or top five, I think, by most uh, gatherings. But what I would like to see, and I've said as much, is if we could pay a little bit more attention to the bunkering style of Dr. Alistair McKenzie and Bob Jones that they had in the original. So we take out kind of the rounded edges, you know, bunkers you're talking now and bring back some of the character of those bunkers. I think that'd be great. It may be a far stretch for me to say that I would love to see some of the greens take over some of that original shape or, or I should say that, Rather than getting the you know the full tongue that's only you know six feet wide, you know, tease me on that a little bit. Like just take a little bit of that shape, you know, and give yeah. me a a a ghost feel of it. It may not be a strategic nature, but we're going to just pay a little bit more homage to what was by reshaping those greens ever so slightly. I love the mounds. I'm a big mound guy, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know hillocks and mounds i'm a big fan of i do understand that when you have patrons on the golf course that it, it may obstruct their view and and i think we all have to be cognizant of that but it would be great when applicable to find the way to bring back some of those mounds
0: yeah agreed i it's think just, fairway wits is a funny one though you know, it's tough feels, right it's it's, it's, it's tough one. it is yeah. it's a uh, you can't they don't work in a in isolation do they these things are sort of chain reaction decisions you can't just say well let's reintroduce um the fairway and double the widths again and chop back the trees without changing the green contours the bunker placements and everything else i mean you can of course you can just go and do it tomorrow but would that improve things would it look better would it serve a purpose i mean the pros who we set this course up for let's say um they're they're not really going to care are they why introduce another 20 yards left of where it is now when you're never going to hit it down there anyway? So you'd have to reshape the greens. You'd have to, you know, if you want to make them slopier again, as we said before, you'd have to have them stimping at six. <laughs> so,
2: yeah. you know? I, wonder, I wonder what the reaction would be. Oh, I can't remember how many were there. Were there three or four center line bunkers? If you added a couple of those back, even if they weren't in play, I mean, would people just blow that up? You know, I don't know. I mean you could see the Probably. telecast i'm not knocking people on the telecast so let's just say let's say i'm not even gonna throw no i'm not gonna throw that out there <laughs> it's not willing i'm not willing to tick people off but let's just say there there might be some people that would question why you would put a bunker a center line bunker in a place where even the solid amateur could fly it with some ease
0: yes why would you do that i mean but then you'd be you'd be putting it back i mean you look at Pine Valley, again, I've not played. You have, Connor. Yeah. The, um, you know, you, you're carrying lots of sand that in yeah. today's world, it's not in play, but God, it looks good.
2: Man, I really would. I mean, I'd like to take a couple of those centerline bunkers, like on two. Man, that's a sexy bunker. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Just, just push <laughs> it a little f- further down and really make things interesting. I think here's one that I'll throw out there, and I, I think it might even take more width than the original had. Is on number two. If you pushed that bunker, that center line bunker further down the fairway, and gave them two avenues on each side from a landing spot, I think that would be extremely intriguing. Are you hitting a fade? Are you hitting a draw? You know, yeah. it's almost McKenzie-ish in you know his Lido hole is having these different driving areas of where you can hit your ball uh, that would be pretty cool i don't they're never doing that i'm I'm not holding my breath out for that but i just think that's one i you know i just what i think what do you think jasper anything you'd add
1: well no i think i think i'm on side with 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 you both Uh, i mean i think if you were to ask the average golfer you know which uh which bunker at augusta national is iconic in your mind it it has to be the 10th you know Uh, and I think Joe described it very well, like these tendrils, you know. So although it has been, you know, a bit smoothed out and it is the most iconic eye-catching bunker uh, on the court. And you could argue that it probably doesn't play much of a, a role now uh, when when the pros play it during the tournament because um, they hit up to it and then over it. But at the same time, um, yeah, from an aesthetic point of view, uh, something similar to that across the course would be good, and if if that's what everybody knows and loves already, then it probably wouldn't raise too many eyebrows. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I think what Joe said: Lee, you you can't view these things in a vacuum. If you if you wanted to go back to 1932 or 33 or 34, then at the same time you you would also have to uh, take into account you know everything that existed at that time, whether that was ball technology or equipment or or even even the players themselves. So, yeah, it's, it's tough. It, it, it's an interesting game to play. You know, if you had an unlimited budget and you, you actually had the support of the club, what what would you do? And to be honest, uh, I can't imagine there would be many people that uh, that know what they're doing worth their salt that even, potentially even want to take that on. But Yeah, uh, be,
2: it's a tough ask, right? I mean, here's the thing is, I don't think you're changing a lot. I mean, I think, no. you know, everybody says, what if you added width at Augusta National... I think there's probably some case for some width, but I don't think you can go back to what was. Uh, that's just me. I mean, specifically with the Masters tournament. Um, hmm. Like, for instance, I mean, who's taking out those trees on, on 13? It, I yeah. mean, yeah, it makes sense, right? If if, if the average guy is playing the hole, it brings back in a different type of strategic element. But with professionals today, if they're not playing off those pine trees of that mishit, It's pretty darn easy to get that green in two. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let me ask you this before I let you go. go. Let me ask you this. So I have to go there. Uh, You know, we're talking about architecture here. It's impossible to not talk about architecture and specifically Augusta National and not talk about the golf ball. Uh, Specifically, how far professionals are hitting the golf ball, whether you want to say it's Bryson or... You know, DJ or any one of these, Rory, who can hit the, you know, living bejesus out of the ball and put it into the (laughs) atmosphere and come down, you know, 500 yards later, it seems. How do you see this playing out? This isn't so much history as it is futurism, but how do you see this playing out um, specifically for what we're talking about today? I mean, we could talk about the old course and other courses, but we're talking about Augusta National. How does this play out for Augusta National? What do you see? If you were going to put on, um, you know, jump into the time machine and look forward, how does Augusta National move forward with the ever-increasing distances in the game? Mm.
0: It's a tough one. It really is. Um, The... (laughs) The world takes its lead from Augusta in some senses. I mean, what they do sort of spins off and dictates and influences in many ways, whether people admit to that or not. Um, And although they're not tasked in the same way that, say, a governing body are um, to dictate things um, literally, they do actually have that effect. So it's a tough one I mean imagine being in their shoes what do you do if if whoever it is Bryson decides that today's the day and he rocks up and starts booming 400 yard drives down there and makes mockery of the course in inverted commas of course what is a mockery I mean we don't know going around in 58 is that is that bad I don't know again it's the eye of the beholder isn't it you know if he does score a 58 my god that's entertaining I mean that is entertaining so do they do what they did again in 20, whenever it was, after Tiger had, had not made a mockery, but made a mockery in inverted commas, and make the same mistake when Earl told them not to do it? Don't make it longer.
2: Yeah, it only um, help helps them.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, surely we've learned a lesson, right? I mean, you make it longer, it just helps the guys get it longer. Um, so what do they do? Do they learn from that and say, okay, well, we won't change the length, but what we'll do is X. What is X? I don't know. I don't know. It does look silly when a guy's chipping to a par five. For so, second yeah. shot. I mean, it's it amazing silly,
2: athleticism. I won't take it past him, but it is. No. Yeah, it's, it's a different type of game.
0: Yeah, uh, but is it bad? I don't know. I think a lot of people say yes at the moment, but but some people are like shoulder shrug and say, well, we still have fun, don't we? We watch this tournament golf sure. and it's kind of close most years and it comes down to the last few holes and we all yeah. have a really good time. So it, if they don't have to change that, then why would they? It's a very, very successful product.
2: Yeah. What do you think, Jasper?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's where, you know, if there if there is one club in the world that
2: can deal
1: with just adding more intrigue and buying up the land around it and extending the borders and putting it in back tees. I mean, we're discussing the one that could do it. But again, as we've said, that sets the standard for you know, literally thousands, <laughs> tens of thousands of courses around the world. How do, how do they deal with it? Uh, and again, it, you know, it's, it's for four days a year. Yeah. Um, That's what a lot of people, <laughs> you know, when
2: we get into these arguments, yeah. we forget that, 99% of us are human. And I think the average driving distance, at least in the United States, is like 225 yards for the average exactly. golfer. And if you're yeah. a five handicap, maybe it's 250 yards. So we have professionals who are hitting the ball 350, 360, 370. It's, it's, it's a whole nother dynamic. It is, I, you know, I liken it to, I don't know if you saw, I wrote an article for Adam Lawrence in Golf uh, Architecture Magazine. And Mm -hmm. I gave them, you know, essentially laid out two options we have going forward based on two options we may, or two decisions we made in the past. And one was the Haskell ball where, you know, every golfer basically picked up 30 to 50 yards overnight. And because of that, all these golf courses had to be redesigned. Uh, Now we're, again, we're thinking about the 1% or less than 1% that hit it for uh, the, on the tour. And the other one is, We essentially accept it, like uh, you know, that's the Haskell. We we accept it and we do nothing. And the second one is 1931, where we roll back the golf ball, and we take that distance back, and see how that goes. And it's it's interesting. It's not an easy decision. I mean, if you think at Oakmont, I used this example, I think in the article, Oakmont when it opened was a par of 80, and now we're at a par of 71. So, Mm -hmm. does the Masters go from a I don't even know what the par is right now. Is it 70, 71? And it goes to a par of 65. You know, do people find that absurd? I don't know, but does it level the field? You know, I guess at the end of the day, it's the lowest score that wins. And most people prefer those cheers over the groans. Yeah. And I
1: think that's, that's part of it too, is that, you know, at the end of the day, they, they all are playing the same course and they're all using, you know, what is ultimately the best equipment for them. Um, I think even just from a, a, a purely, you know, it, I think Joe mentioned it before, you know, it does look kind of odd seeing someone hit a driver, you know, sand wedge into a 550-yard par 5. Um, you know, in the days of hitting, I think you mentioned like a forward, you know, into a carry into a green 235, over. 235, yeah. You know, and, but that shot just doesn't exist. I mean, for, for a lot of guys on tour now, that's probably a six iron. Yeah, it's unbelievable, isn't iron. it?
0: I, mean, I suppose the, the jeopardy element is what's missing, I, I guess. I mean, it's still, you know, it's still high stakes, right? It's kind of a poker game and they're playing against the next guy and everyone's soiling themselves. Um, but, you know, when it comes to it, I think the jeopardy of trying to play a shot where the repercussions of a missed hit are so bad, um, such as a sort of long iron forward or whatever it is from a fairway, tight lie, what have you, versus a sand wedge where your missed hit would be 15 feet away from the flag you know i mean where's the jeopardy in that but then you could argue that the jeopardy is when you hit it 400 yards off the tee if you get it wrong then it goes 300 yards to the right i mean i I, I just there's arguments. it's such a
2: it's such a difficult argument isn't it because i mean yeah at one point you could argue that the tournament will be won by whoever drives it well and putts well Mm -hmm. and i'd say driving's probably more important than putting if you're driving the ball you know, 350 plus yards and finding yeah. fairways. Well, and,
0: it's the first thing you do on the whole, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well,
2: yeah. you know, yeah, I had, I had uh, Dean Beeman on the podcast uh, to talk about the history of TPC sawgrass and the PGA tour. And his argument was actually not rolling back the golf ball, but was to actually make it spinnier. And his mm-hmm. idea was that, Hey, Jack Nicklaus could hit a 350 yard drive if he wanted to, too but with the te- with the technology we had specifically the spinnier ball he knew Hogan knew Nelson knew that if you went all at it and you missed a fraction the ball would you know go 50 yards offline and so his argument was make the ball spin more for the pros versus take back that distance and then they're really going to have to make decisions now what's i would only question about that is i think the tour mentality is such now this is just Me thinking versus, you know, really, you know, pondering this is the tour mentality is they make so much money winning tournaments that they are fine just waiting to have a good week with the driver. You know, like your career isn't based on, you know, you have to win four rounds to make, you know, $60,000 anymore. You make one round and it's a lifetime's worth of money for a lot of people. So can you be like a really long driver? And just hope that you have a good driving round and everything else will kind of fall into place. That's the only issue with that argument I think we've gone, you know, not, I'm not making an argument for or against rolling back the golf ball here so much as I'm just saying, I think the mentality has changed so much on tour that they'd be willing to stake their career on the days where they have good driving days because they hit it so far.
1: Well, I yeah. think I think when it comes to, I mean, when you when you think about the players who who are trying to make a name, you know, they, 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 they want to be remembered, in, you know, in history. <laughs> you know, they, they, they want to be mentioned in the same breadth as the Grand Slam winners. Um, you know, there's a difference between those guys and the journeyman golfers who say, Do you know what, like, I don't need to win tournaments. I just want to clock up a bunch of top 25s and I'll have a very, very comfortable life my wife and children and probably their grandchildren and their grandchildren will probably all have <laughs> you know very you know and i don't have to win anything to do that so yeah i mean this uh yeah the higher stakes of it all or yeah the risk and reward uh, what what are you out there trying to do if uh if it is just trying to get your name in the history books then you have to bite off a little bit more uh but yeah interesting conundrums if we're talking about tv sorry <laughs>
0: If we're talking about TV dictating decision making, which it does quite often at um, Masters, it would appear, uh, we're on. We're un- I would just go out on a limb and say we're unlikely to be watching reruns of Bubba's hit over the trees on the thirteenth, uh, whereas we will be watching his miraculous lob wedge, which curves eighty yards. Yeah, uh, a good point on YouTube replays, and um, and I know that probably the masters will be aware of that. So when they do their montages, they're wading through classic moments and the stuff that gets, you know, an asterisk next to it is going to be shot shaping, shots from under the pine, um you know world-class escapes amazing putts what they're not going to be seeing is a 400 yard drive which went onto an adjacent fairway you know some sort of (laughs) (laughs) so i mean you know they've got to factor that in and money will talk and at the end of the day and i think if 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 all they can show is people blazing drivers out into the wrong place on the course then something's going to change
2: yeah agreed well thank you guys so much for coming on the show I, i really enjoyed it and maybe again Remind people how they can find your stuff—Twitter and and uh, Instagram. But go into maybe what's on your site. What can if they dive into the deep dive, such as evaluate eighteen offers? What are they going to find?
1: Yeah. So well, once you hit there, if, you, if you're uh, if you're located in the UK or or Ireland,
2: uh, it's a great little
1: resource just to find uh, the best golf near you. So you can literally go on your mobile phone, click the the the, the first button that pops up on the homepage. and and it will literally find you um, and show you where on the map you are and where the the closest Great Golf is to you. Uh, The the map is also interactive, so you can filter it according to your preferences. Uh, There's a whole sort of different uh, type of characteristics or filters that you can use. And and then beyond that, um, there's a couple of... uh, Quite a lot of information just about uh, different architects, uh, their design ethos, Uh, if you play one of their courses, what what you'll probably see or what to look out for. Uh, The other thing that's quite good is the the book guide. Um, So if you're just getting into golf course architecture and you're kind of wondering where to start or how to start or where to spend your money. We've done that already, <laughs> and hopefully we'll pass on some of that acquired wisdom so that you can uh, make some, some good choices and you don't have to throw your money after bad. Uh, so I've made those mistakes for you and I've dealt with the consequences. <laughs> 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 but yeah, there's all sorts of stuff there, uh, random journal articles and things like that. But uh, of course, too, there's the shop, and that's where that's where Joe ultimately... His, uh, his talents are, are, are best seen.
0: My toil, as I described before, the tears, the the you know the hair tearing <laughs> moments, the, uh, the struggle, the internal wrestling match is shop.evaluating.com.
2: But it comes out like so, it's so beautiful. Your toil and torment is to our benefit. Think of it that way. Nice one. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much. I really appreciate your time. This has been a fascinating dive into uh, the time capsule known as Augusta National. Thank you so much.
0: No no angry letters if we got some facts. No, no, no.
2: (laughs) I think they all realize us three men here are idiots and are (laughs) inconsequential. Absolutely. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. (laughs) Augusta National is a dreamscape made of the most powerful magic golf can produce. Genius mixed with legend mixed with love. When you hear that familiar song playing on your television, you are transported to your own personal utopia. You hear that music play and your worries fade. That smile appears and in that very moment, you are part of something special. That is the power of Augusta National. It will evolve as years pass, but no, that when you need it most, it will be there for you. Until then, yours in golf history, this is Connor T. Lewis.